You're listening to the sermon podcast from Real Life Church Pullman, reaching the world for Jesus, one person at a time. We are in this new series uh, called Foundations, and we're talking about what we want to do to help us personally and as a church to lay a right foundation for this year. Um, And so one of the things we started off with last week is something that we feel is critical to uh, our ability to have the right foundation this year, and that is unity around Jesus. And so if you missed the message last week, I would encourage you to go back and listen to it in your sermon notes that you got handed when you came in, or they're linking to them. If you're watching online, there is uh, the directions there, the the uh, web address for where to find uh, sermons and where to find the one from last week in case you missed it. I would really encourage you to go back and listen to that one. This is a time where uh, the voice of unity and a message that is calling people to unite around something bigger than uh, politics and vaccines and masks and all of that other stuff. Like we are trying to unite around Jesus is very countercultural and critical to our ability to succeed as a church. And so please make sure you get uh, on that one. Um, Today, we're going to talk about the next piece of our foundation, which is purpose. And One of the things I want to say is you'll notice right now in our culture that there is a crisis of purpose going on. You know that there's a crisis of purpose going on because everywhere you look, all over people's uh, news feeds and social media, pick whatever their new media is, right? I can't keep up more of who's doing what. But uh, whatever it is, what happens is when people are not grounded in a solid purpose and direction. They latch on to every new thing that comes along. And so all of a sudden, this is their thing, their, their cause they champion, their, their thing they identify with, and, and they can't get enough of it. And they go on and on and on. And well, then it changes. And you notice probably all of us notice friends and family and people that are in our uh, acquaintance pool that have bounced all over the map on what they seem to be going nuts about any given week, right? Like those are things that indicate that there are people who lack purpose. And when you lack purpose, you latch on to things looking for purpose. It's like, I want to be important. I want my life to matter. I want to care about something, but they're not grounded in anything. When you're grounded in purpose and you have a, a solid direction and, and, and purpose in your life, it, the stuff that comes and goes doesn't change what you're living for right? You're not bouncing all over the place when you know this is who I am and this is what I'm living for. And the the new things that pop in and out of your newsfeed don't change your whole outlook on the week or the month or the year, right? And so the Bible has something to say about that. It says that people who lack vision or another word for that, meaning the same thing as people who lack purpose will perish. Like when you don't have a solid purpose, when you don't have vision and a, and a direction, you don't do well. And we're seeing that play out in real life all the time in the world around us. And so today, we're going to talk about purpose. And you heard me talk about this a couple of weeks ago, that we're going to shift away from some words like vision and mission. In the culture that we live in, a lot of people use words like vision and mission in different corporations that you work for, different businesses you've been a part of. We hear slogans as mission statements and vision statements. And sometimes in the church, we lock onto those things and we're trying to be clear. But what happens is 
people get hung up and they, they, they can't understand what we're trying to say because those things just sort of get watered down. What's a vision statement? What's a mission statement? I don't want anybody wasting any mental energy trying to learn the difference between a vision, a, a, a vision and a mission statement, right? Like if you're having to think about that, we're already off. And so we're walking away from those kind of words and we're going to use words as a church that are really concrete, that are easy to understand. Like at a glance, an eight-year-old, a 40-year-old, or some of the antique people, like, right? like all of us in between, you know who you are. All of us, when we hear this word, it's like, oh, that may, we just know what it means, purpose. What is our purpose as a church? Why do we exist? And so today we're going to spend some time answering that. Why do we do what we do? Why do we gather on Sunday? Why do we worship? Why do we gather in small groups? Why do we uh, share the gospel? Why do we have children's ministry, youth ministry? Why do we serve people in our community that are in need? Like, what's the why behind all of it? That's our purpose. All right, so for those of you that love filling in blanks, get ready. Lick your pen and get it ready. You get to fill in some blanks, and these are going to be your only ones. So really enjoy it today. Like, soak it up. Uh, In your notes, we're going to fill in what our purpose is. Our purpose as a church is helping people know and become like Jesus. For us as a church, we want to be a group of individual people that lock onto this purpose, and then collectively as an organization, we want to be all about helping people know and become like Jesus. Now, here's the thing. We chose those words strategically because there are other ways to say that that say something very similar, but they can be confusing. Like we could have said, helping people become disciples of Jesus, which is for sure what we're all about. But when we say it that way, all kinds of people with all kinds of backgrounds get hung up misunderstanding or understanding discipleship or what it means to be a disciple in all different sorts of ways. In fact, when we go through our 101 class and we go through some of the trainings that we do and we talk about what is a disciple and we ask people to write down your definition of what is a disciple, as oftentimes as many people are in the room is as many different definitions as we get. A lot of people have a different picture of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. And so if we say, hey, our purpose is for everybody to be a disciple of Jesus and everybody in the room has a different idea of what that means, we're already off. We're going to have a hard time being unified. We're going to have a hard time winning and taking ground if everybody's got a different target we're shooting for. And so we're trying to be super clear that we are about helping people become uh, or know and become like Jesus. And we set it that way for a reason. So we're going to spend a little bit of time unpacking it. The very first part of that, why do we want to help people uh, know Jesus? For most people in this room, that's sort of obvious. And for a lot of people watching online, you're like, that, isn't that the whole point of church, right? Like, isn't that the thing, like for people to know Jesus? Absolutely. It, it, it's all about the gospel. For us personally, one of the things that we should be uh, becoming, uh, it could become more and more important in our life as we follow Christ is that we want everybody to know him, right? Why? Because, because we know that, that knowing Jesus, not just knowing about Jesus, but actually knowing Jesus is, is the solution 
to a problem that we are aware of called sin. You see, we all know that, that, the, that God is a good God and God created a good and amazing world. And when he began this plan, that his relationship with people was awesome. It was fantastic. It was so good when it started. And as people got off track, they, they separated themselves from God by disobeying God. They did what is called sin, which is something that probably everybody in this room is familiar with. Some of us are really good at it. And we all know you can hear uh, the, the gospel message and you can hear something and it sounds so cliche because you've heard it a hundred times. Oh, that, that sin separates people from God and sin separates people from each other. And you'd be like, yeah, 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 that's like churchy stuff. You're supposed to say that. But the truth is, it's really real. In your own relationships, when you mess up, when you lie to someone you love and, and they find out that you flat out lied to their face, it messes up your relationship with them. It does damage. It, it hurts their heart. It changes the trust factor between the two of you. Like sin hurts relationship. It creates distance. God knew that and God made a way for sin to be forgiven. Even before we were ready, even before we knew that we uh, wanted help, even before we were like to the point where we we're like, okay, fine. Like, this is so terrible. How do I get myself out of this? Like, what do I do now? Right? Even before we got to that point, while we were still just stubborn in our sin, God made a way so that when we were ready, there was a path for us to receive forgiveness, and that's through his son, Jesus. And, and, and through Jesus and what he did on the cross, we have forgiveness of our sins available. Not only do we have forgiveness of our sins available, but, but with that forgiveness comes this path to restoration. Like right away, there's restoration with us and God. Like we get to have a right relationship with God the Father, because in Jesus, we can be forgiven. And, and when we uh, forgive each other the way God forgives us, God, God says in the scriptures that there is this supernatural thing, this miraculous thing that happens, that, that when we forgive each other on earth, that there's something linked up to the way God forgives us and the way we forgive each other. And so when we walk out the plan that God uh, put in, in, in place for us, and we forgive other people, it also brings about restoration in our people relationships, just like it brings about restoration in our relationship with God. And so this whole beginning part of our purpose that we want people to know Jesus is because we know that Jesus is the solution to sin and all the consequences that come with it. We don't think that we're the solution to their sin problems. We don't think that we have the power to change their life. We don't think that we have the power to fix their relationships or to patch up things between them and God. But we know the man who does, right? We know who does. And so like uh, over time, what happens is the thing that, that we want more than anything for anybody is like we always want them to just make sure they know Jesus because in him there is power, there is forgiveness, there is restoration, there is transformation, there, there, there is supernatural help that only he can provide. And so as a church, we want people to know Jesus. 
And so that's the first part. That, that's, it's sort of hard and also easy, right? Like it's real simple to understand. It's not always the easiest thing to do. But, but that's the straight up easy part of our purpose. The other part of the purpose is where it gets a little bit complicated and a little bit more challenges is we want to help people become like Jesus. Not just know him, but we actually want to help people become like Jesus. And here's where it gets tricky because when we start talking about becoming like Christ, people get all sorts of ideas in their mind. And predominantly in the Christian world, the way we start to shape our ideas is from our past, from the way we were brought up, from the way we uh, grew up, from our, our life experiences. And there's one passage that tends to drive what it means to become like Jesus. Like, why is that a thing? And it's the commission that Jesus gave his disciples in Matthew 28. He says that he told the disciples and all disciples after them, anybody after them that would follow him, that's all of us that are following Jesus, we have this commission, instructions from Jesus, if you will, that we're to to go into all the world and make disciples, uh, baptizing them in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that Jesus taught and just trust that God's going to be with us and have our back. That's the instructions he gave. Well, when he gave those instructions and we hear them through our American Western ears and and our Greek thinking logic-based mind, we hear make a disciple is teaching. And it's a, a model that's built around classes. And so churches for years and years and years have been awesome and amazing at providing information about the Bible and information about Jesus in classes, oftentimes called discipleship classes. And so a lot of times, if you, if you think about what does it mean to, to be a disciple, people automatically, especially church people that grew up uh, uh, churched since uh, young, a lot of times they automatically get a picture of like, that means that you're in classes together. That means that you're learning things together. And it's reinforced by the world that we live in. The world we live in is a very uh, heavily influenced education model where it's all about transferring information, preparing people to make sure they know the stuff, right? The problem is that's just this teeny little sliver of what Jesus had in mind when he gave that commission. Knowing stuff, while important, comes far, far short of what Jesus had in mind when he wanted us to actually make disciples of him. When he actually had it in mind for us to become like him. In fact, the Jewish rabbis or teachers, their, their aim, their desire was that their uh, Talmudim, they were called, their followers, their little group of disciples, their class, is in a modern way that we would understand it, their Talmudim would become like them. Not just learn what they taught, not just know what they know, but something way deeper than that. Something way more life transforming than knowing information. They actually aimed that their disciples would become like them. And Jesus said this very thing in Luke. Um, in Luke chapter uh, 6, 40, he says that the teacher or the student is not above the teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like their teacher. 
And so we get this picture right from Jesus that, that this, this idea is, is not that we're trying to say, oh, you're going to become like a God. Like somehow you're going to be more powerful than God. That's so off base. That's not at all what we're saying. What we're saying is that the aim is for you to actually become like Jesus. And to help us understand that that's actually what Jesus had in mind when he gave us this commission to go make disciples. It was to go help people learn how, who he is and how to actually become like him. Now, for uh, rabbis in Jesus' day, before and after, they had a, a different world. Jesus grew up in a different world. The, the rabbis grew up in a different world. The way they learned and, and grew and studied was so much different than the world we live in. Like young uh, boys and girls in his day uh, didn't go to math class. They went to the job site with their dad and they watched their dad calculate and figure and configure and how to build and change and measure and stuff. And they learned math on the job, on the fly. They watched their mom uh, barter and deal with money and and, and make exchanges in the marketplace. They didn't have home ec class. They just went with mom to kill the chicken, pluck it, and cook it, right? Like some of the antiques in here know what I'm talking about. It's been that way in the past, but we're far removed from it in the world that we live in. Jewish kids would learn reading predominantly in a school-type environment so that they could read the scriptures, and as they learned the scriptures, they would learn how to apply them out in everyday life. And then later, when they would uh, reach about 13 or 14 years old, the boys predominantly would go into the family business. They would begin to like apprentice for their dad, for example. And they would start to learn the family trade. And sometimes they would actually get um, assigned out to apprentice in another household with a different father, a different guy who had a different trade. Maybe, maybe the, the dad was raising someone up and maybe this dad was a farmer, but he could see that his, his son was really good at cutting stones. He just had a knack for it. He's like, you're going to be a mason. And one of my friends in the, is a mason and I'm going to apprentice you out to him. And, and he would actually go and move in with the other guy and apprentice under him and learn his trade hands-on day in, day out. Not not just go show up and work with them, actually live with them. Well, as you can imagine, you learn a lot more than just masonry. When you do 365 days a year for years on end, you do the mundane chores of the day. You take out the trash. You sweep up the job site. You do all the stuff that you don't want to do, right? Like, and along the way, over time, you learn the trade. You learn the stuff. This is so much more about what it looks like to be a disciple, this process, this journey of becoming like Jesus. This is the world that they grew up in, the way that they learned. It's very different than the world that we live in. And so when we say become like Jesus, we mean digging in, building relationship, doing life with each other, actually transforming, changing the way we spend our time and our effort and our energy and our money and our resources to, to, to shift, to become like Jesus. And it's a process. In, in the ancient times, the Jewish rabbis would draw their picture of what discipleship looked like. 
like how they would make disciples. They, they drew their pictures uh, from the scriptures. And throughout the scriptures, there was a, a number of different examples, but there was one example in particular that stood out to Jewish rabbis, and they would call back on this picture of this relationship between these two guys, sort of gave the Jewish rabbis uh, um, a picture of what it looked like to disciple someone. And, and the picture that they would look to are a couple of guys named Elijah and Elisha. Now, I really wish over the years, as I've read about Elijah and Elisha, um, because I have a little bit of dyslexia and I have a hard time distinguishing like similar words and similar numbers and I'll get them transposed, um, which is really good when you're in the construction business. Let me tell you, you gotta really check your tape measure because I would mess people up all the time. But Elijah and Elisha, I'm like, Lord, couldn't Elisha have just been Steve? (laughs) This would have been a lot simpler. So here's what I want to help us, like concrete in your brain. Elijah is our uh, master, right? He's, he is this famous prophet of God who is known far and wide for his amazing life and the amazing things that he did, raising people from the dead, calling down fire from heaven to defeat the prophets of Baal. Like Elijah is our master and Elisha is our apprentice, just to help cement in your brain the difference between these two guys. So as you learn about them, you know who's who, right? And so Elisha is the apprentice. Well, Elijah, although he had this amazing life and it was very much a highlight reel as God's spokesperson and God used him and worked through him and talked to him in amazing ways. And he had amazing faith, but he also had some hard times. And it was during one of these hard times that God spoke to Elijah and told him that he was going to call, it was time for him to call a successor. It was time for him to call up an apprentice, to train up to replace him. And I want to read to you what that exchange looked like. It's in 1 Kings 19, starts off in verse 19. It says, so Elijah went from there and found Elisha, son of Shaphat. He was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen, and he himself was uh, driving the 12th pair. Elijah went up to him and threw his cloak around him. All right, so there's a little fun rabbit trail for you. Do some homework. What does it mean when he throws his cloak around him? And then be careful who you put your coat on. All right. Elijah went up to him, threw his cloak around him. Elisha then left his oxen and ran after Elijah. Let me kiss my father and mother goodbye, he said, and then I'll come to you. Go back, Elijah replied. What have I done to you? So Elisha left him and went back. He took his yoke of oxen and slaughtered them. He burned the plowing equipment to cook the meat and gave it to the people and they ate. Then he set out to follow Elijah and became his servant. So you got to understand something here. Elisha, apprentice, up and comer. He knows who Elijah is. There's no not knowing who Elijah is. And to be called, invited, to to come and follow this most famous prophet of God that God speaks to, the man that God has worked through and done miraculous things through, is such an honor. It is a knee-shaking, earthquaking, exciting event in anyone's life. And Elisha knows this, and, and, and yet we see this thing that happens that I think happens with all of us all the time, is there's this pause. 
is there's this like immediate tension that's like, boom, it just comes right to the surface. It's like, oh my gosh, this is the most amazing opportunity. I cannot believe that I get the opportunity to, to, to follow the prophet of God, the most amazing man on earth at the time. Anybody, nowhere out there is anybody more important than Elijah. And I get the opportunity to go and follow him and be his disciple, be his student. And, and yet there's some other stuff I really wanted to do first. I don't know if I'm quite ready. And Elijah challenges him and says, you know, I don't know, essentially in a modern language way of saying it, he might have said, you know, are you sure you're ready for this deal? Because if you are, we leave now. And it sort of like rattled Elijah loose. And he went, wait a minute. Yeah, yes, I'm ready now. And he went and did something that was so cool. He went back, he, he took his plow and all of his oxen and all the rigging and the wood and the, the straps and the everything and he tore it all down. He built a big old fire. He slaughtered these oxen. This is no small event. He slaughters the oxen, he has a big feast and he gives away the food. And then he turns around and goes to, fi- to follow Elijah. Like, you gotta understand, Elisha, his response to Elijah sort of giving him a, like a gut check, like, are you in? He was like, oh, oh, whoa, wait a minute. Yeah, I'm in. Let me show you how in I am. He cashed in his whole inheritance. Everything he had in life, all of his worth, his career, his wealth, he cashed it all in. And he didn't cash it in in a way where he was like, I'm exchanging this for a big pile of money so I can have a comfortable traveling purse, right? He burned it and gave it away and said, yeah, I'm so in. I'm following you with the clothes on my back. In our world, we call that burning your bridges. No turning back. I'm that in. I'm, I'm giving myself no escape route. That's this picture. And this is this picture of Elijah and Elisha that the rabbis would look back on and they would say, what did it look like for the prophet of God, for a man of God to call a disciple? And then what did it look like in their relationship? How did he respond? And we see that Elijah and Elisha spent all of this time together, doing life together, not just Elisha signing up for a class where he would show up at the right hours on the right days, but Elisha did life with Elijah. They very much lived out the scriptures that, that God gave in Deuteronomy that talk about the way to learn the commands of the Lord is that you teach them while you are walking, when you get up, when you sit down, when you eat dinner, when you go to bed. Like this is how God's word gets transferred. This is how you not only teach someone, but help them become a real follower of God. And Elijah knew this, and he actually did it. And Elisha actually signed up for it. And they started to do life together. This is the picture that Jesus had in mind. And this is the picture that we get all throughout the Gospels of how Jesus made disciples. He he called his guys to come and follow him. And then they did life together. Like, really together. Like, sick of each other together. Right? Do you guys spend enough time with anybody that you wish you would have got a day off from them? You're getting close. Right? Like, that's how you know, like, hey, we're really doing life. 
This is the picture we get in Scripture of what it looks like to become like Jesus. It's this long, slow process. It's a journey. And in the world that we live in, we love instant. We love right away, right? In fact, we have a whole genre of TV that is built around extreme makeovers and big turnarounds. Every subject matter, there's a show for it, right? It houses, of course, there's a show for that. You take a junky house, make it a pretty house, and in 30 minutes, it all flips around. Like, and we're like, oh, it's so beautiful. The fixer-upper thing where they pull the, the screen across, right? And you're like, oh my gosh, they're so amazing. Nobody wants to tag along for the eight-month ride that that took with a giant fleet of people. We just want 30 minutes. We just want to see the junkie house and we see the amazing house. And this formula is so pervasive, it's everywhere. We see it with cooks on TV. We see it with relationships. We see it with pets. There's a cat show. There's a show about terrible cats that some guy comes in and makes them beautiful cats in 30 minutes. And everybody knows about Caesar. Like, he can fix any dog in 15 minutes. Right? You know. We love immediate. We love the quick turnaround. We love the fast fix. It's the world that we live in. Like, we don't want to sign up for an apprenticeship. I can go to YouTube and get a video. Why do I need to sign up for a long apprenticeship where it's going to be years in the process of learning under someone, developing skills, learning a craft, have to deal with scheduling, spending time with somebody? What if I don't like the person? They may know what I know, but what if they're hard to hang out with? Like, I could just go to YouTube and sign up for a master class, and they'll teach me what I need to know, and I can watch it, and I don't have to know them at all. I could do it in my underwear, right? Void of the day in and day out and all of the other lessons that come along the way. And I think what's really important for us to remember is that all throughout the Gospels, as we see the life of Jesus, we do see Jesus do some miraculous, immediate things. And they're cool. And they catch our attention, and we like those stories. In fact, the crowds that heard in his day, they liked those stories too because they were very much the fuel that drew hundreds, if not thousands of people to come see what he was all about because they heard that some guy that was blind that everybody knew about could see after he was done with them. Or a guy that was paralyzed from birth could walk after Jesus was done with them. Like the miraculous instant fixes were cool. But what I think is really important that we remember is that all throughout the Gospels, we never see Jesus immediately just wave his hand and magically fix some ugly habit in one of his disciples. When it comes to the day in and day out, character building, not just knowing about the scriptures, but but actually changing to become more like Jesus, like it's this slow process. It happens as we do life following Jesus. That's what happened to his disciples. They were constantly challenged, constantly being transformed and changed. Like the things that Jesus did among them, the way that he taught, the people that he spoke to, the people that he spoke harshly to was constantly challenging his disciples. It challenged what they knew about God. It challenged what they thought God thought about other people. It challenged what they thought about the religious elite, the people that they thought were the guys that were doing it right. All of a sudden, they're getting a fresh perspective from Jesus about those things. It it challenged how they thought about the people that nobody wanted to talk to, look at, or stand by. In, In fact, Jesus constantly is inviting sinners and messy people into 
his kingdom. The very people that the other rabbis would not walk on the same side of the street as, much less share a meal with or invite them to study with them. The disciples were learning these lessons and picking up the character of Jesus, picking up the heart of Jesus by doing life with him, following him day in and day out. And let me tell you, they made a lot of mistakes. They got frustrated. They got impatient. They wanted to know when it was all going to be over. And when it was over, furthermore, which one was going to have the best seat at the dinner table? Can we fast forward? I don't know if any of y'all are impatient. I really am. And as I started thinking about this and, and wrestling with this as a purpose for our church, I just kept thinking, man, Lord, this is... This, on the one hand, I feel so 100% convicted that this is right and that what else would we be about? On the other hand, I'm like, this is hard. I personally struggle with it. People struggle with it. And we're supposed to all get on the same page. With, like, this is hard. Like, Lord, couldn't we have something just a little bit, like, a little bit simpler? Like, I had some pretty good suggestions for the Lord on a very important, like, valuable purpose for us as a church, but maybe just slightly easier. Like, how about, I even thought this through in my head, and my little voice in my head when I was talking to the Lord was my best salesman voice. You laugh, but you know what I'm talking about. Like, I was like, Lord, what if we were the church? What if we were the church that got everybody baptized? That's a good one. That's a really good purpose. Like, let's just, could we be the everybody gets baptized church? It's like, you could. I don't know that that's the thing. It's part of the thing. But you're missing some stuff, right? And it's like, ah, What it's all about is helping people know Jesus and become like Jesus. And the truth is, I love knowing Jesus. And sometimes I love becoming like Jesus. And other times I have a long list of stuff I would like to do on my own first. And I get the call by the King of Kings. I get the invitation to get up today and go do his thing instead of my thing and go follow him as my rabbi and my teacher and let him guide me and teach me and show me the way and let him lead me and prompt me. And I'm like, yeah, but I had this list of things that I was going to do today. And as much as that sounds right and perfect, and I know it's the best way to go, like, I re- could, how about Thursday? Because I have got some stuff I need to get done today, Right? And the truth is, this has been the challenge of people since the very beginning. In fact, when Jesus called people, they had these same type of responses. In Luke chapter 9, we see a few different people that Jesus invited to follow him. And we see how they struggled to answer that call. Luke chapter 9, verse 57, it says, "Um, As they were uh, walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus replied, foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. It's sort of like, uh, are you sure you're ready for this? Have you ever slept in your car? (laughs) That's kind of what he's asking. Like, are you sure? 
Next, Jesus replied, um, he said to another man, follow me. But he replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Well, Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. It's like he's given him these things. Like, are you sure? Are you really sure? Are you actually ready? Still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Sounds a little familiar. It sounded really familiar to Jesus, and it would have sounded, his answer would have sounded really familiar to the guy that was talking to him because it, it, it called back to the story of Elijah and Elisha because he was like, I can think of another time where a guy was really concerned about going home and saying goodbye to his family. And, and Jesus answers him in this passage. He says, uh, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. Now, if you read that in just modern day terms and you're just scrolling through and you read this story in Luke, you're like, nobody who puts their hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service. And you're like, what in the world does that mean? That's just a weird answer. I want to follow you, but I'm not sure if I'm ready. Nobody who puts their hand to the plow and looks back is ready. Huh? Right? There's context. Jesus is calling back to Elijah and Elisha. And it's like Jesus saying to a guy that knew the story. He's like, remember the story? Remember when Elisha got called to follow the famous prophet of God? Do you remember how he he paused? Do you remember how he second-guessed if he was ready? But do you remember what Elisha did? He went back and he laid his plow down and cut it up into pieces, lit it on fire, burned it, cut his oxen, fed the community and took off to follow the teacher. And he's sort of like, are, are you that ready? That's sort of what he's trying to say to this guy. Are you that ready to follow him? For us as a church, this is the call. It's the right purpose for us to have individually. It's the right purpose for us to have as a church. And and, and from here on, we're going to start getting into the nitty gritty of like, how do we actually do it? How do we live out this purpose to not just know Jesus and learn about him, but to actually become transformed and to become like him? And we're going to get into some nuts and bolts. It's why we want you to be in small groups together. It's why we want to encourage you to do life together in relationship and dig into God's word and spend time together and learn how to pluck chickens together and build things together and serve people together and move people together and pray together. And all of the stuff that we do together with our eyes on Christ outside of this service is where the become like Jesus starts to really take root. This is who we are and this is what we're about as a church, helping people know and become like Jesus. If that sounds appealing to you and you're like, this is, this is something I want to do, then you found the right church. If you're like, that sounds crazy, I don't know if I'm up for that, then God's going to keep talking to you. Thanks for checking out this message from Real Life. You can find out more about us at rlcpullman.com and by connecting with us on Facebook. Until next time, have a great week.